Hello, Hope Church family. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. And all we're going to be covering tonight is the entire book. Just kidding. Not really. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. In the last three weeks, uh, we've been doing a short series for this month, uh, focusing on what is God's mission. And two weeks ago, we talked about what is God's mission in general. Uh, so often we get focused on our mission and what we want to do, and we hope God comes along with us. Uh, we talked about what is it to look and identify what is God's mission. That God's mission is to redeem all people to himself. That uh, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And that he is using us, our, our sinful human beings, to, to demonstrate his power and how we uh, promote the gospel and how we tell other people about the saving work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ defeated sin and death and rose again. And that we no longer have to face the punishment for ourselves, but rather... Uh, that Jesus took it for us so that when we make him the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life, uh, we are now God's children. We can now have that relationship with God. Now that also makes us part of something called the church. Uh, as we come together uh, universally as all believers, uh, people that have put their faith in Jesus Christ, and we come together, that is the universal church. That is the corporate church. That is every believer around the world. But then we have what we call the local church, and that is a smaller group of believers, such as Hope Church, Fellowship of Oakbrook, Journey Church, you name it. All of these small groups of local churches that come together, uh, and they may have different philosophies, uh, methodologies, but they believe in the gospel, and they believe in doing kingdom work, and they come together to do it together as uh, a corporate body of believers. And when we're doing that, when we are serving God, uh, what we're doing is we are worshiping. Uh, sometimes we can uh, get caught up in thinking that worship is uh, just something we do when we sing at church. Uh, but really, worship and the word service are interchangeable. And so when we serve God with every part of our being, we are worshiping God. And when we are worshiping God, we are serving God. So I wanted to make sure we made that distinction. And that's what we talked about uh, last week, that the church is the body and blood, no, the body and bride of Christ, the family of God. And we went into detail over these three things and what that means for us so that no matter where we are, no matter what culture we're in, no matter what country we're in, we can focus on how are we operating as the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and the family of God as we welcome other people into this family. And we also talked about what is and isn't a local church. So you can go back and watch that last week if you haven't watched it yet. But this evening, we want to look more specifically at what is God's mission for you? Uh, what is God's mission for you and your function in the church? Last week, we talked about how there isn't a function of you outside of the church. Now, churches look different no matter where you go. There are believers who are in prison and they have formed these churches and that church is going to look much different than how some books tell you is the only way to do church. And so we have to kind of look at it and in context uh, and be able to see, okay, what it actually makes up a church. But churches are made up of individuals. And so what we want to go through this evening is something that we talked about a couple years ago and we want to bring it back up, a saying that you'll probably start hearing a lot of, and that is worship is a way of life. Worship is not uh, this, this time period. It is not a, 
uh, part during the week. It is not this one day. It's not that one hour. Worship is a way of life. Understand it is how God designed us. We are designed to worship. Everybody worships something. We all worship something. Sinclair Ferguson, uh, in describing what worship is, he says, For worship is essentially the reverse of sin. Sin began and begins when we succumb to the temptation, you shall be as gods. We make ourselves the center of the universe and dethrone God. By contrast, worship is giving God his true worth. It is acknowledging him to be the Lord of all things and the Lord of everything in our lives. He is indeed the most high God. We all worship something, and if worshiping God is the opposite of sinning after God, as uh, Sinclair Ferguson says, the first lie that Satan tells Adam and Eve is, you shall be as gods. The desire for us to be the most important thing in our lives is improper worship. Anything that takes our worship away from God and points it towards us and what we want is improper worship. So what I want to do this evening is an actual survey of the entire book of 1 Corinthians. I can already see you getting ready to turn this off. Please don't. Uh, a couple weeks ago when you we were talking about the mission of God, um, afterwards as we covered the book of Jonah, uh, somebody came up to me and said, Rob, how is it that you can cover the entire book of Jonah in 30 minutes and only one verse in Matthew for 40? So I want to assure you this is a broad survey of the book of 1 Corinthians. But the reason that I'm using 1 Corinthians was because the city of Corinth, and you've probably heard me say this many times, the city of Corinth makes Las Vegas look like a small country church. This city was incredibly corrupt. It um, had so many uh, people, and it was one of, the, one of the few cities where whatever class you came from uh, in this uh, social setting, you could come there as a freed slave and make a fortune and set yourself up. It didn't have class distinctions, and so it was a place where people went because of the ability to make money. Uh, what they did is they was in this little, uh, if you look on a map, it's in this little strip of land between two ports. And what they did is they made a road that they could drag ships across the land to the other port and save a bunch of time. So both ports were extremely busy. So people had the ability to import and export and make a fortune. Now along with wealth comes problems. Mo money, mo problems, as a famous poet once said. And so what would happen is, all these temples started popping up. There was every form of worship. Corinth had so many different forms of worship in its city. Uh, and so it was just this incredibly diverse place, people from every background, people from all over the world, and they were all coming together. And then the gospel is introduced, a new form of worship, if you will. And people were seeking after whatever form of worship that there was. They were uh, very spiritual, and that's what we see actually today, very spiritually minded people, but just putting their faith in things other than God. They were more interested in spirituality than they were about God. And so uh, here in Corinth, and it's what we see really throughout most of the books um, of the entire New Testament, and that is Paul and Peter and John, they are writing to correct different things that are happening in church. And here's what was happening. And believe it or not, we do the same thing today. We find a place of worship, but we bring baggage 
with us from what we used to worship. Even if we'd say, well, I've never gone to church before, all of us worship something. We were designed to worship, we all worship something. So what ends up happening is you are seeking out what's best for you. We worship ourselves, we worship um, our own ways, our own desires, we worship our comfort, we worship you name it. And so all of us, when we come into a local church setting where we are supposed to be worshiping God, we bring worship baggage with us. And we say things like, well, you know what I really liked at that other place? Well, you know what really made me feel? Well, you know what we should do is what this other place was. And that's what we see in Corinth. And I'm only going to be in 1 Corinthians because we don't have time to go through 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Uh, but that's what we're going to see continually. They wanted Jesus, but they wanted to keep certain aspects from their former place of worship. So let's dive in. Uh, and I've broken it down by chapters. I've grouped some chapters together and I just want to point out a couple things, but this will just be your normal run-of-the-mill seven-point message. So if you're keeping notes, please write this down. Uh, what we see in chapters one through four is improper worship results in arguments and disunity. Now I'm going to use improper worship on these different seven points, but please understand that there is so much more. This is just a survey. I'm going to read a couple passages that go along the but this is the bigger picture. The bigger picture of 1 Corinthians is worshiping correctly as an individual in a corporate setting, in a local church setting. So I want you to look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 10. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. This is the aspect of people are coming, Jews and Gentiles. Uh, people are coming from every form of life, every walk of life, and they're coming into this place to discover Jesus, to discover the gospel. And what was happening, and it starts off talking about Paul and Apollos and Peter and Jesus, uh, people were starting to put the focus on what person led them to the Lord, who baptized them, why that makes them better. And there was all of these arguments and disagreeing, this disunity that was happening. But they thought that they were defending the faith. They didn't have the same mindset. They had the mindset of who was better, an earthly mindset. And so one of the big things that we look at when we examine churches is when we start to see all of this, arguing this disunity, understand that improper worship is taking place. Now we are all human, so we will be prone to this. Uh, unity is something that is formed over time and many conversations, some of them very difficult. Uh, that's why we went back to last week saying a family is, you're going to have arguments in a family. Uh, we, my family, seven kids, we're going to have disagreements, but at the end of the day, we're still family. We're still going to be as one. And that's how the family of God operates. We can have different thoughts, but how do we use them together for Christ? Uh, also switch over to uh, chapter three, and we see this play out in verses one through three. Uh, Brothers and sisters, Paul writing, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? 
when we follow after Christ, we have a spirit of unity in us that allows us to work together. And here Paul is addressing them saying, you still have a worldly mindset. You've accepted Christ, but the way that you're going about things is what you used to do. You can't take that former way of worship, that former way of thinking, the former way of living, and bring it into uh, this, this family of God and still be promoting yourself. So again, where there is arguments and disunity, there is improper worship. This brings us to chapters 5 and 6. And that is, improper worship is self-focused. Improper worship is self-focused. Chapter 5 and 6 um, starts out pretty rough. Uh, starts out, and it's really addressing a lot of sexual immorality that are happening in the church. Uh, it's addressing um, not just the sexual immorality that's happening, but that people in the church are kind of laughing and snickering about it. Uh, it's a case of incest, actually, and, and people in the church seem to be thinking it's funny or joking around about it and not confronting it and not addressing it for what it is. This is a worldly way of thinking. Look at chapter 6, verses 7 through 11. Um, but also, along with the sexual morality, he's also saying, you're all taking each other to court. Rather than having this unity that we just talk about, you're so self-focused that when something goes wrong, rather than trying to settle it as brothers and sisters in Christ who have this unity, you're still going to the secular courts. And that's the witness that you're leaving to the city of Corinth is that you can't get along and you're going to the courts to settle stuff. So pick it up in verse chapter 6, starting in verse 7. It says, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is getting them to understand you are acting no different than those that don't know God than those that don't know Jesus. And then this verse 11 uh, that I think gets left out a lot of times. And he says, and that is what some of you were. Again, this is what you used to do before Christ. This entire list of things that we in churches today say, oh, these people aren't welcome here. Paul's saying that was you. And he's talking, some of these men and, and women are leaders in the church. And he's saying, this was you not that long ago but you accepted Christ, you're here now, you can no longer do those things. You are still have a worldly mindset. He says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. When we have been washed, when our sins have been cleaned away, when we have been sanctified, set apart for God, and when we were justified because of what Jesus Christ did for us when he took our sins on the cross, those things have now made us, as we are told, a new creation. The old things are gone. Behold, all things have become new. And then we come into a place of worship, but we still like some of those things we were worshiping before. And what were they worshiping themselves? 
Why would they take other believers to court? Why were they so involved in sexual immorality in so many different ways? Why are they involved in, in drunkenness? Uh, why were they involved in idolatry? Why were they involved in adultery? Um, they were thieves. Why all these things? Because they were worshiping themselves. Improper worship is self-focused. They were doing what they wanted, how they wanted, when they wanted, and where they wanted. And then coming to a place to worship God and bringing that baggage with them as well. Uh, number three, in chapter seven, improper worship results in misplaced priority. Now, chapter seven is a chapter that you'll hear me mention quite a bit. And uh, as someone who was single until I was almost 30 years old, uh, it was this chapter that gave me such hope and gave me such guidance. Uh, chapter 7 is all about relationships. Uh, people were saying, well, now that I know Jesus, I shouldn't be married. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you already are married. Uh, people were saying, well, now that I am, uh, know the Lord, I'm going to be celibate. And he's like, I mean, you don't have to be. Like, if you have a desire to be married, then please go and be married. And there was people that were married said, you know, I'd be able to do more for God if I was single. And Paul's like, no, 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 you're, you're married. Like, you can't get out of it. Like, there's very uh, strict limitations on how you walk away from a marriage. And so he's kind of going through all of these different relationships. And really, uh, what I believe was happening is people just wanted out. Uh, and they were using Jesus as a way. Or people thought that they weren't complete yet if they didn't have uh, depending on their relationship status, uh, married people wanted to be single again and single people wanted to be married. And uh, you hear me say this all the time, marriage is not a promise of God. Uh, and chapter 7 starts to define what a relationship looks like in the church. And this is something that I can go off on a long tangent and I'm trying to keep it contained about. But basically, it is that proper worship is focused on God. God is the priority that everything that we do is for him and we do it in a local church setting first and foremost. Uh, when we talk about the church being the priority, what that means is uh, if there's a, a ministry that isn't based in the local church, then it's incomplete. Uh, if there's a thing that you're trying to do, but it takes you from serving in a local church setting, it's incomplete. Uh, we have to be in that setting in order for us to consider ourselves and, and operate and serve in a local church for it to be considered a part of the body. And so people were going out and doing what I call dating evangelism is they were looking around saying, I want to be married, but I don't like my options here. So I'm just going to step away from the church. Uh, what we've seen churches do, and again, I've uh, seen this done to myself on numerous occasions is the, the church says, well, you're not married yet, so you're not quite useful to us. That to me is totally wrong. And if you read and study through chapter seven, and I'd love to have a conversation with you, um, but really your focus as a single person should be how much involvement can I have in the church? How much can I do? That kingdom of God mindset becomes top priority for you. And I'm so thankful for so many people at Hope Church um, who have that mindset. I was sitting with one of our uh, single guys a couple years ago and he said, hey, what do I need to do? Like, how can I prioritize building the kingdom of God? Uh, and just to see the growth taking place in so many people. And uh, the joke is that Hope Church was built by an army of single women. And it's not really a joke. It's very true that because of so many single people who have a mindset of 
how can I be used? And because of a leadership at Hope Church who says, these are the people that we can entrust and give responsibility to. But also for married people, the priority is number one is your spouse and your children, your family, uh, developing that relationship. And Paul talks about it in chapter seven of making sure that you are guiding them in a way of knowing Christ. Even if you're in a marriage where only one of the um, spouses is a believer, how are you living in a way your top priority should be seeing your spouse come to know Christ, to lead your household. So the church still plays a part, but we can get those reversed. Uh, It's very easy for pastors to start to prioritize the church and finding their identity in the church and leading a church and forget their family and forget their spouse. And so Paul's really saying to summarize is uh, make sure your priorities are correct. Uh, It doesn't mean give up on a family for the church and it doesn't mean give up the church for the family, but make sure we are prioritizing and balancing by following after God first and foremost. And I want to look at verse 17. He says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. However, God, remember, whatever position you find yourself, whatever relationship status that you find yourself, God has allowed it to happen that way. So again, chapter seven, improper worship results in misplaced priority. You're either trying to build God's kingdom or your own kingdom, and you can't do both at the same time. Uh, It is very easy to worship a relationship or a relationship status and forget what God has called you to do. Brings us to number four, chapters eight through 11. Improper worship is self-promoting. Now in chapters eight through 11, and again, One of my favorite things to do is to sit down and discuss God's word, and I'm not going very far in depth. Chapters 8 through 11 has a lot of cultural things that don't make sense to us. Chapter 8 is talking about food sacrifice to idols. We don't normally go into Publix or Harris Teeter, and there's stuff that says, by the way, um, this food was sacrificed to this idol before we presented it to you. And so a lot of this stuff, it can seem like it doesn't uh, makes sense to us, but it plays out in so many different ways. And then Paul has to address the fact that why he's considered an apostle. Um, then he's discussing how you use your freedom. And even now, this is something that we see constantly is, well, I have freedom in Christ, so I can do this. And Paul's trying to remind him, no, that's, that's sin. Uh, that's not what freedom in Christ is. Um, and then when you get into chapters 11, uh, 10 and 11, it just becomes about the person and promoting themselves. There's so much cultural stuff that I don't have time to get into, but when you see men wearing long hair, that doesn't mean men with long hair are in sin. They are promoting themselves and a certain lifestyle. Uh, When it says that women should have their head covered, it doesn't necessarily mean they need to wear a hat. In fact, we don't even know if they wore hats back then. It it means that the women were advertised, they were married, but advertising themselves to other men. Uh, so there's a lot of cultural things that I can, I would love to answer questions on for this. Um, but just know that everything that has to do in these passages, chapters eight through 11, almost everything is people that were coming to church to promote themselves in one way or another. Uh, they were promoting themselves as more spiritual. Uh, they were promoting themselves as they had better freedom because they were stronger believers. Uh, they were promoting themselves as available when in God's eyes they weren't. They were promoting themselves as available in sinful relationships. And so there's a lot of cultural stuff, but understand everything came down. If it was a big picture, it was there, there to promote themselves. It was they were there and they were still promoting 
other gods. They were there and they were promoting the emperor in some cases. Like everything was about them and what they wanted. Improper worship is self-promoting. I want to look at verse chapter 9, look at verses 9 through 13. Um, or 19 through 23, sorry, not good with numbers. 19 through 23, and this is how Paul is explaining uh, when it comes to freedom, when it comes to all of these things. Uh, here's how Paul explains it. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul, when all he's surrounded and he hears about all this self-promotion that's happening in a place where we're supposed to be worshiping God and it is evidence this misplaced worship is on themselves, they are promoting themselves, Paul says, okay, here's what freedom means. Freedom in Christ means that I am free to do whatever it is to win other people without sin. So to the poor, I became poor. To the weak, I became weak. To those under the law, I observed their laws so that I could talk to them about Jesus. To those not under the law, I didn't find myself under the law. Paul's saying, I promoted everybody else. I put other people's needs and desires, I put other people and what was best for them as a priority. And so when we go to church, we put other people first. We love other people first. We don't go there to promote ourselves. We don't go there to promote our own agenda. Improper worship is self-promoting. Uh, number five, and this is chapter 12. And chapter 12 and 13 are really hand in hand. They go together very well. We talked about chapter 12 last week at a little bit more length. But chapter 12 tells us that improper worship is self-seeking. Improper worship is self-seeking. So, so far, number one, improper worship results in arguments and disunity. Number two, improper worship is self-focused. Number three, improper worship results in misplaced priority. Number four, improper worship is self-promoting. And chapter 12, improper worship is self-seeking. Uh, last week, we talked about the spiritual gifts and the, the unity and the body and how all of these body parts have different uh, functions and different forms. But when we come together under the headship of Jesus Christ, who is the brain and the operator, we function as one in this world and we all use our different giftings and abilities and talents as we build the kingdom of God. And we are a testament to how powerful God is, that he can bring together people from every walk of life who are all sinners saved by grace and we can function together to reach the world around us for Christ, that we can demonstrate his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his joy and his peace. But a verse stood out, a verse stood out to me in chapter 12 that we didn't talk much on last week, and that is verse 7. Uh, go back to verse 4. He says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
God has gifted everybody not for your benefit, but that you can benefit others. God has given everyone these gifts, talents, abilities, resources, not for what's best for you, but what's best for your brothers and sisters in Christ, what's best for other people. But so many times we go to church and say, hey, what's best for me? How can this church best benefit me? And again, to go back to the family of God, uh, families, sometimes somebody's down and the siblings come around them and, and provide needs and, and build them up and help them out and get them out of tough situations, whether they were put there by somebody else or they were put there by themselves. We go in, we rescue. Uh, I have a friend visiting uh, for a couple weeks and he does, uh, he is a disaster relief missionary and he goes within 72 hours rapid response to wherever a disaster hits. And when he gets there, he doesn't give people a list of questions they have to answer correctly for him to get a tree off their house. He shows up, gets the tree off their house and says, what else can I help you with? And it then ministers the gospel to them. And so how do we approach our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we show up and say, hey, let's get this tree off your house first, and then we'll figure out how to rebuild the house and help you out and get you the care that you need. And so all of us hurt at different times. We're all down at different times. We need the other people to come in. Why? Because we are saying, how do I use these gifts, talents, and abilities for your benefit? If we come in and we're just trying to see what is best for us, if we are self seeking. We are asking other people to worship us. We're asking other people to put the attention on us because in our mind, we feel like we deserve it. And that is when we have moved God off of his throne and in our minds, we have replaced him. So worship is not self-seeking. Number six in chapter 13, improper worship demonstrates improper love. Improper worship demonstrates improper love. Now here in chapter 13, uh, you may have heard this passage read at weddings. Um, this is not a wedding passage. I mean, it is. It's, it's totally fine to use it at weddings. But hopefully what you've seen is this build. Corinth is a wreck. Uh, this church has so many problems um, and so much misplaced worship. Uh, so many people there with their own agendas. So many, I mean, you name it, things are going bad. And so Paul didn't all of a sudden just pop in this, oh, hey, by the way, here's a passage for a wedding. Uh, what Paul is saying is when we examine all of these things, all of this improper worship, and then we get to chapter 13, improper worship demonstrates improper love. He is bringing them back to the base. He wants them to understand this is how Jesus demonstrated his love for you. This is how you love others. And it's no coincidence that it comes right after this improper love is not self-seeking. That love is actually sacrificial and goes out. So I want to read through chapter 13, actually starting with the last part of chapter 12. He, Paul writes, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always 
perseveres, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul is saying this comes down to you are not loving God and you are not loving others. You are loving self. Improper worship demonstrates improper love. We put ourselves above everybody else. So I say chapter 11 and 12 go so hand in hand. I was going to kind of put them together, but didn't work with improper uh, worship is self-promoting or improper worship is self-seeking and improper worship demonstrates an improper love. And here in Corinth and in so many churches, and this is not easy by any means. When we come together as this group from all different stages and walks of life, different backgrounds, different reasons why we do the things that we do, we all come carrying in our, our worship baggage from other places. We all have our desires of what we want when we worship. We all have our desires of what songs, of, of uh, what seating, and you name it. I've seen church splits over some of the most insane things. But when we love each other properly, when we love God, and then we, in our love of God, we are able to see other people as his creation. We are able to see other people as his image bearers. We are able to see other people as his children. That changes the way that we love others. John 13, 34 through 35 Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Improper love is when we go into the world and we talk bad about the church. When we go into the world and we talk bad about another brother or sister in Christ. And we can do this for weeks and months on end. And then the pastor preaches a message and we go back and say, hey, you should come to my church. And the person goes, why on earth would I want to go there with you? All you do is talk horrendously about the place and the people that are there. Jesus says, the world will recognize you as my disciples by how you love each other. To ask yourself, how are we loving each other? All of these different parts that that. Paul is writing to us, this is how Jesus loves you. Now, this is how you love others. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Just work on that one alone. That's a tough one for me. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. How do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ in this way? And again, the whole book of 1 John tells us that if we do not love our brothers and sisters and claim that we love God, we are liars. So 1 John 13, this tiny little chapter in, in 1 Corinthians, tells us so much. And it is a very difficult chapter to apply to our lives. 
but we worship God by loving others properly. In chapters 14 through 16, what we see is improper worship results in disorder. Again, people had come in carrying baggage from a former place of worship. They really liked what they did, and they keep trying it out. Uh, Paul keeps correcting them, and Paul actually says that uh, God is not a God of disorder, that God brings all things together. He wants order, and people were coming together, and it was anything but. The worship service had turned into just a big party, and it was chaos, and it was confusion. Uh, And then he closes, and I think it's important to kind of look at how he closes and he addresses people. Hey, I love you guys. Uh, I hope you're doing well. And I think it can get so easily caught up on the first 15 and a half chapters of 1 Corinthians to think this place is a wreck. And it's that last part that you see, oh no, there are believing Christians there who love God and love others. And Paul's addressing them, hey, keep up the good work. Um, Sometimes 1 Corinthians can, and the city of Corinth and the church at Corinth can really be bashed and say, this is the most dysfunctional church ever. Um, but again, I think it's what church is supposed to look like is we welcome people in and we, we introduce them to Jesus. Uh, they become a new creation in him. And then that discipleship process, it takes time. You have to have a long view of it. We walk hand in hand with each other. We help each other. We build each other. We lift each other up. And as we do that, we worship God. Now, uh, something that's interesting um, as we've studied 1 Corinthians 12 last week, as we, I've read through 1 Corinthians, uh, maybe as you were going through James last week, we looked at Ephesians 5. There's this word that keeps popping up, the word submit, that we submit to God. And we do not like the word submit. In fact, I feel like every time I say it, I can see people cringing and getting ready to leave. Uh, especially in our culture where we're told that we have to protect ourselves and we have to stand up for ourselves. The Bible continually tells us to submit to God. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to each other. Uh, We're constantly given this order that we fall under the headship of Christ and that in different ways we submit to him. James tells us, submit to God and, and flee from the devil. Do not become part of the world, but submit to God. And so proper worship begins when we submit ourselves to God, when we understand who he is, and where we are. Uh, Proper worship begins when we can come to God's word uh, and say, okay, God, what is it for me to grow in your likeness? How do I follow Christ and how do I grow in Christ's likeness? It's not easy. Um, And again, it's always, it comes across as somewhat negative when we are uh, talking about Worship and improper worship is this, and improper worship is this, and improper worship is this. But that's what happens when we start to take the focus off of God and putting it on ourselves. Uh, When we start to engage in idol worship, and that idol that so often we find ourselves worshiping is ourselves, our desires, our wants, our comfort, what we think will make us happy. And we sacrifice other things in the name of what we want to worship. I always kind of mentioned that what we worship, we sacrifice for, and what we sacrifice for, we worship. We all sacrifice something. We all have things in our life we don't have time for, and we, and we cut out to make time for something else. Well, just know what it is that you're cutting out is what you're willing to sacrifice, and what you're cutting out for is what you actually worship. Uh, Oswald Chambers, one of my favorite authors, which I think I've said quite a bit in the last couple of weeks, Um, He wrote this. He said, Worship is giving God the best that he has given you. Be careful what you do with the best you have. 
Whenever you get a blessing from God, give it back to Him as a love gift. Take time to meditate before God and offer the blessing back to Him in a deliberate act of worship. If you hoard a thing for yourself, it will turn into spiritual dry rot as the manna did when it was hoarded. God will never let you hold a spiritual thing for yourself. It has to be given back to Him that He may make it a blessing to others. We go back to the beginning where we started. Worship is a way of life. Worship isn't uh, the certain time of the week. It isn't a certain day. It isn't a certain hour. Worship is a way of life. How are you worshiping God with everything that you have, everything that you are, everything that He's given you, your talents, abilities, uh, gifts, resources, time? How is everything meant to worship Him? We all worship something. We were designed to worship. I would ask you this week to spend time praying, talking to people that you know, evaluating where you are and finding out what do I truly worship? What am I truly seeking after? It's a tough question. It's never fun, but we're in this together. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to come to your word, that your word is a mirror to us, pointing out the areas of our life that we need to change. Lord, sometimes it is uh, quite difficult when we examine passages like this and so many areas of our life are, are shown to us. But Lord, I pray that we don't walk away from the mirror, not changing the things that we see, but Lord, rather seeking you out, seeking out your word, seeking out your wisdom, uh, seeking out our brothers and sisters in Christ that will uh, walk alongside us and help us to continue to grow into your likeness. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.